Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy his consolations through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Both saints, Justin Mart Martyr and Irenaeus, believed that all Scripture points in one way or another to Jesus Christ. Both men were second century saints. In Against Heresies, St. Irenaeus wrote, Read with earnest care that gospel which has been given to us by the apostles and read with earnest care the prophets, and you will find that the whole conduct and all the doctrine and all the sufferings of our Lord were predicted through them. On this second Sunday in Advent, our Hebrew scripture lesson comes from the prophet Isaiah who is foretelling the emergence of a shoot that will come out of the stump of Jesse. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. What are the characteristics of this Spirit of the Lord? They are wisdom, understanding, counsel, might or strength, knowledge, fear of the Lord, righteousness. His time will be characterized by righteous and equitable judging and by peace among all living things. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Notice that the first descriptor of this root that is coming from the stump of Jesse is wisdom. Who was Jesus before the Incarnation? He was the Logos, the Word of God. And He was wisdom. If you read the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, there is a personification of wisdom, as if wisdom is actually a human being. There are a few such references in books like Proverbs, as in Proverbs 8, where the text reads, Does not wisdom call? Does not wisdom raise her voice? And in verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. Isaiah's description of this shoot from the stump of Jesse is closed with these words. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. The purpose of this prophecy is to instill in us a sense of hope. The prophecy 
likely was promulgated during a period of hopelessness and despair, a time when it seemed as if the voice of God was silent. When the people were feeling isolated and alone, possibly even abandoned, in the midst of adversity, there is hope for an anticipated future. A significant ramification of this text from Isaiah is that the church came to see that in baptism, these seven spiritual gifts that the prophet attributes to the one who is to come and are made available to the recipients of the sacrament. They emerge again in the sacrament of confirmation. When the bishop lays hands on the confirmand, these same gifts are strengthened. These seven gifts are extremely useful in living the Christian life, and we should pray that they are perpetually strengthened in us. I have prepared for your use Back in the back on the cherry table, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit from Isaiah 11. And I invite your attention to that, along with a description of how these gifts are tied to both the theological virtues and the cardinal virtues, and how they serve us in living a Christian life, along with a prayer for having those gifts strengthened. In our Christian pilgrimage, one of our tasks is for ourselves to be reduced and minimized in order to allow Christ, who lives within us, to have more space. And one of the ways that that happens is with the expansion of these seven spiritual gifts, because they are the attributes of Christ. These gifts are linked to the, as I indicated, to the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love that St. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, as well as the cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. The virtue that is our focus for today's lessons is hope. From a Christian perspective, these spiritual gifts shape how we structure our lifestyles. In the Epistle lesson from Romans 15, St. Paul references this prophecy from Isaiah 11 when he says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. What does he references when he talks about what had been formally written? His references to Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. But the reference is specifically to this lesson from Isaiah 11. Because through this shoot from the stump of Jesse, 
the Gentiles, which are you and I, are grafted into the promise. We are adopted or received into the family of God. In Christ, the covenant is expanded to be inclusive of all people, both Jew and Greek. In Christ, the covenant is expanded to each of us. This is a passage that ensures our inclusion in this promise, which has been expanded to include all of us, Jews and Gentiles alike. Through this shoot that came from the stump of Jesse, we come to know God not only as a promise maker, but also as a promise keeper. The metaphor that is used to describe this process is a plant, or more accurately, a stump. As we all know, a stump is created when the plant is cut down, as in a tree, which was the case as a consequence of disobedience among the Israelites. But there's a new shoot that begins to grow. The new shoot is the start of a new life. And St. Paul says that that new shoot will graft us in such that we'll all be a part of that through Christ. As the epistle to the Romans winds down, St. Paul appeals to the promises that were contained in Hebrew scriptures, especially this one from Isaiah 11. He identifies Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of that hope. Paul admonishes the Romans to rejoice and to praise the Lord. You see, Advent and Christmas are seasons of perpetual hope. The incarnation of Christ offers hope to a broken and disordered world. The root of the promise is in Isaiah's prophecy. The fulfillment of the pro promise begins in the wilderness with a man whose name is John. I think of him as being among the first of the desert fathers. Let's think about the wilderness metaphorically for a few moments. There are what we call wilderness episodes in everybody's life. Everybody has them. Times when we are met with adversity, when the sledding gets kind of tough. They may be similar to what St. Ignatius of Loyola described as desolations. During our wilderness experiences, we may feel alone, isolated, and sometimes even abandoned. It seems as if God is silent in our lives. When we find ourselves in the wilderness, it's important for us to remind ourselves of the hope that is in Christ Jesus. 
Often when we think of wilderness experiences, we think of Job, and we rightly should. We know from Jesus' experience in the wilderness that it was a time of severe temptation. Our own wilderness experiences should be viewed as opportunities that we have to stand firm in our commitment to God. It's an opportunity for us to rely on these spiritual gifts that the prophet is describing in Isaiah to give us strength and fortitude to withstand whatever adversities we are facing. So through these gifts of the Holy Spirit, whenever the enemy attacks us, we have the tools that we need in these spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit is strengthening in our lives to enable us to prevail. Advent is a time when we take stock of the kinds of experiences that we've had in our lives as we prepare our hearts and souls for the advent, for the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ yet again. The Gospel lesson tells us about this figure, John, who resided in the wilderness. His whole ministry was wilderness-based. Matthew tells us that John is the one that Isaiah referenced in Isaiah 40, verse 3, as the voice crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. How does one make such preparations? During these four weeks of Advent, how do we make our preparations for the coming of the Lord? We engage in a process of self-examination. And then we confess all the things that we find that are in conflict with God's will for our lives. John is the one who has set this conversion process in motion. I have also prepared for you a description of the prayer of Eximen, which is a process of self-examinations as we prepare our hearts and minds yet again for the coming of our incarnational Lord. Because there's only one way that we can make those preparations. There's only one path. And the answer is simple. John's ministry wasn't overly complex. It was pretty straightforward. And what he said was true about the people to whom he said it including us today.
So what is that one path? Repentance. If you want to prepare for the coming of the Lord, confess. In preparation for the coming of our Lord, we engage in a process of self-examination. Then we confess all the things that we find that are in conflict with God's will for our lives. You'll have an opportunity to do that um, in a few moments. John is the one who has set this conversion process in motion. John was the kind of figure that would definitely get your attention. Like Jesus, there would be no way to interact with John and come away from that experience unscathed, unaffected. No way. John is preaching a message of repentance as the cost of admission into the new kingdom that was being introduced into history in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. If you want to be a part of this good thing that's, a, that's about to happen, you do that by repentance. Metanoia in the Greek, which carries the connotation of a turning around. John was quick to inform the Pharisees and the Sadducees that it would not be sufficient for them to rely on their pedigree for admission into the kingdom that Jesus was bringing to this earth. Who your daddy is just isn't going to get your ticket punched. There is a price that will be exacted from you and that price is repentance. Any kind of biological connection to the body of Abraham will be insufficient in and of itself for admission into the kingdom. John is crystal clear about that. In John's preaching, repentance goes hand in glove with water baptism. When Jesus comes, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus will separate the grain from the chaff and the chaff will be discarded. So what should we glean from these lessons? What's the good news? First, there is a promise that has a history in Holy Scripture. That promise was embedded into the ministry of the prophets. That promise can be a source of hope for a secure future for each of us sitting here. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. As God the Father says in the Transfiguration, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. As a second lesson is that as Gentiles, we're grafted into the promise. We're a part of that new shoot. The incarnation makes provisions for us to be grandfathered in, as they say. 
The original promise included a single ethnic group of people. But with the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the net is expanded to include all of us. Whatever exclusivity existed previously, it's erased. The promise is now inclusive, not exclusive. The promises is available to everyone, although there's something that you got to do to be a participant in it. A third lesson is how do we secure our place in the promise? And the answer, like the rest of this, is pretty simple. Although easier to talk about than it is to do. The answer is through repentance. Repentance means that we make a turnabout in the way that we live our lives. Whatever else Advent is, Advent is a penitential season. When we focus our attention on self-examination and on confession, we are cleaning house. We are getting ourselves ready to celebrate yet again the incarnation of our Lord. So we need to take inventory. Advent's a time for us to do that. So let me ask you, how are you doing with your participation in the promise? Where are you in this process of repentance? Are there things in your life that need to be cleaned up in order to you, for you to prepare your house for his coming? The fourth lesson is that as John prepared the way for the first incarnation, it's our responsibility as a church to prepare the way for the second. We need to be out there in the desert proclaiming a message of promise that's based on repentance, baptism, and participation in the body of Christ. That's our task. The Great Commission is clear about that in Matthew 28. So here's the deal. The way things were going at the time of the prophet Isaiah and at the time of the prophet John, things weren't working out so well. People had become deflated and discouraged. Hopelessness was epidemic. People could find no reason to have hope. There was this promise of deliverance from these horrific conditions, but there wasn't anything substantive that seemed to be happening. Then John suddenly appeared on the scene in the wilderness, out of nowhere, seemingly and began preaching a message of repentance, imploring people to get themselves cleaned up and ready for a cataclysmic event that was about to occur in their generation. 
John was baptizing people in the wilderness like crazy to prepare them for meeting up with the one who was to come. St. Paul tells us that we are all included in that promise. So during this Advent season, I invite you to think again about how it is that you access your place in the promise. How it is that you go about getting your ticket to be a part of the kingdom. The price can be summed up in a single word, repentance. That was John the Baptist's message to the people to whom he preached. It is also the message to the people that God has for us today. That message hasn't changed. In over 2,000 years, the message is the same. The process is the same. So along with Paul, I offer you this benediction. It's one of my favorite ways to close morning prayer. And it is taken from Romans 15. All of you are familiar with it. <coughs> but I'm going to pray it for you and with you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I invite each of us as we do the daily offices every morning in morning prayer during Advent to include that prayer that St. Paul offered on our behalf and that we can now pray for ourselves. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we do that, we will be adequately prepared for both the celebration of the first incarnation and prepared for the second one that is yet to come.